I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Film Chat, the only good podcast adapted from a video game. It's all about a young, fair-skinned Persian prince who is framed for murder and has to go on the run with a fair-skinned Persian princess and a dagger that has the power to turn back time. I believe he mainly uses it to repeatedly eat the same delicious rotisserie chicken. That's the gist of it anyway. Is what I would be saying if this were a adaptation of the classic fantasy adventure, Prince of Persia, The Sands of Time, starring the world's greatest Persian actors, Jake Gyllenhaal and Gemma Arston. This podcast is really more just 45 minutes or so of us sitting around and talking about films. I'm Sam Foster, and joining me, the world's greatest Persian podcaster, Danny Moran. I really wish I knew hello in Persian now. (laughs) (laughs) Hello. On this episode, Sam reviews Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. Has J.K. Rowling done it again and created another rich fantasy story where every single detail is making some kind of political statement? Is Newt Scamander Sadiq Khan? Are hippogriffs Muslims? Do werewolves have AIDS? Are bogics Mexicans? Are basilisks trans? Are dragons black? Can centaurs use public restrooms? Was Crickshanks a lesbian? Or is it basically just an old-timey version of Pokemon Go? Sam's review will answer most of those questions. Then I review Patterson, the latest Jim Jamush film which stars Adam Driver as a driver? I mean, what's next? Chris Hemsworth as a man who inspects the quality of garments? Lawrence Fishburne as a man who incinerates cods? Stanley Tucci as the creator of Spider-Man's anus? Surely not. We also examine the latest news involving an upcoming film all about murder, bureaucracy, and controlling the populace. I'm either referring to a recently announced Ben Wheatley project or proposed Dick Cheney biopic. Hashtag political. Very nice. All of which should give me enough time to perform my latest impression. Hugh Jackman being punched by Gene Hackman. Oh, mate, what are you doing, Gene? Nah, don't do that. <laughs> I thought you retired. What are you doing? Top notch, top notch. Yeah, you put a lot more effort into your in-shape part than I did. I couldn't sleep last night, so I spent a lot of time making that list. Yeah. <laughs> I looked up the Wikipedia page. Can we rewind a little bit? Certainly. When you were talking about... Um, yeah, Adam Driver playing Driver, Chris Hemsworth, someone who's judging the quality of garments and stuff. Mm. I think people might be wondering whether you mean uh, Stanley Tucci as, like, the creator of Spider-Man's ass mm. or the creator of Spider-Man's ass. And if it's this, the second one, I feel like people are going to struggle to work that one out. Oh, should I do Stanley? Like, his ass had a specific creator. No, 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 it's okay. I think it's good. People would just have to... That's one thing to mull over. Yeah, just work it out, guys. Many levels. My many, many levels. On. You know, it might hit you a week later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why you got to listen to the podcast multiple times. Films, 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 Lots of films, 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 films. These good films, bad films, fun films, sad films. Films we love, weird films, Lars von Trier films. I posted one of my viral hits uh, questions yeah. to our Facebook followers. I asked if you could change one aspect of any film, just one, what film and what would it be? My examples were make Hugh Grant end up with Christian Scott Thomas instead of Andy McDowell in Four Weddings and a Funeral. 
um, cut off the last minute of Shawshank Redemption, superfluous minute, and uh, make Luke and Leia not blood relatives in Star Wars. I think those, I mean, who am I to judge these uh, masterpieces, but I think they would uh, improve them. I think those are all pretty good calls. Um, I did find it pretty frustrating when I watched Four Weddings and a Funeral that like the coolest female character in the movie wants to go out with him and he's like, you know, yeah. he's like, no, no, I prefer the um, personality free American lady who's less attractive than you. Very strange decision. Doesn't make any sense. That's why I lost faith in the film. Yeah. I also think Notting Hill would have been better if he ended up with Gina McKee's character, even though she's like married to someone else. <laughs> like his friend. <laughs> married to his friend. Yeah. But I just <laughs> like her better than, uh, than Julia Roberts. <laughs> Which did you want to see every Hugo movie where he ends up with like not the other the lead? One. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think I actually think like with four weddings it'd be better. Literally any other female character in the movie would be better. <laughs> but yeah, no, these are good. And our, our listeners have offered some pretty good suggestions. Jazz Deep Bagger says, "I think the twelve angry men in Twelve Angry Men should be angrier. They should be like WWE angry, throwing chairs, choke slamming each other, etc. If, if the film is to be remade again." Henry Fonda's role should be filled by Dwayne The Rock Johnson. He's got a point. Yeah. There's only a couple of them that are actually angry. Um, he also, Jazzy Bolso suggests that uh, Nolan should have kept Harvey Dent alive. This is in The Dark Knight. Bit of a spoiler comment if you haven't seen that movie. Harvey Dent dies in it. <laughs> he says, I get why he was killed off. Spoiler alert. He's putting the spoiler alert after the spoiler, which is not the normal practice. But... <laughs> um, so he becomes like a martyr and symbol of true justice for Gotham. But I think he would have made a great villain if he killed Gordon's family, got away, and replaced Bane in The Dark Knight Rises. I mean, I think I didn't... Replace Bane. Replace Bane. Bane's the best character in the movie. He's the character Yeah. Well, I think I wasn't very clear with my question, but I think that's like a huge change. Like, I was thinking like, you know, one detail you know where i think it's a big change if hugh grant doesn't end up with Annie mcdowell into four ways yeah, but I, the, most of the movie is the same and then the last i well, guess is the same, the same. it's the same with dark knight right and he couldn't give the cool speech at the end Nah, that's like half that's why that movie's good i'll be honest with you danny i'm probably just an idiot <laughs> but like it took like i still i'm not completely sure when he's like <laughs> the hit we get the hero which way is it it's like the hero we <laughs> deserve not the hero He's the... It's not the hero we deserve, but he's the one that we need right now. Yeah, somewhere like that. I definitely was a bit like, okay, what is that? Well, what basically, exactly? like he he doesn't have to be, you know, it's not like Ghostbusters. Doesn't be applauded by the masses. Yeah, he can take the heat. He can be vilified because that's what Gotham needs. They need Harvey Dent to have died a hero, but he's not the hero they deserve because he's much better than the people in the movie. Yeah, right. but is that like it's very dismissive, isn't it? It's a bit like hey, that's Batman for you, you know. It's a bit of a snob. <laughs> it's like <laughs> it's Commissioner Gordon basically being like, you know, he's got to save these ungrateful scum. Yeah, exactly. I think that's about me. Don't they both deserve and need Batman? Like, nah, it's not their fault, is it? Like that, you know, they just don't realize he's a great guy. Yeah, that's a good point. The hero they deserve is like an evil guy. I don't know. It's weird. I think it's an odd. I think it's an odd comment. Uh, we also have a comment from Ruth Gortcrodger. She says, "Hi, film chat." I'm a big fan of Jaws, but I'm a bigger fan of sharks. I still get upset at the shark death scene. I'd like to see a remake where the natural hunting habits of a shark are respected and everyone gets along. P.S. Did you know that shark ladies can make babies without male sharks? Shark ladies can make babies without male sharks? Wait. What? Interesting fact, and one that as a man I find a bit threatening. Oh, dear me. I had some other suggestions. Yeah, please do. Go ahead. I haven't, yeah. To make uh, good films a little bit better. Yeah recast every single character Quentin Tarantino has ever played with an actual actor. Oh, that's a really good one. That's a, um, that's an excellent that's an excellent one. Um, re- anytime Richard Gere is in a film, just replace him with John Travolta. Wait, every time <laughs> Richard Gere is in a film, replace him with John Travolta. Yeah, I think they're sort of similar actors. Yeah, and he's <laughs> a better actor. <laughs> so I think I recently watched American Gigolo for the first time, and I was like, the problem with this film is that Richard Gere's in it quite a lot. Yeah, he's the main character. Sure. This is mainly, I just don't like Richard Gere. But, you, but like, John Travolta is also quite weird, isn't he? Or yeah, but I think like he's, he's a more like compelling screen presence. Okay. I've also got uh, Use O Bornage Up Yours by X-Ray Specs for the closing credits of Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> I don't understand why they didn't use that. It would have been yeah. a sick ending. Like, the elevator like... closes, and it's like, one, two, three, four, and then, like, this post-punk classic comes into it. Maybe it's punk. I don't even know. Whatever it is. Um, get rid of the sun character from Interstellar. 
Let's get rid of him. Is it which, purple or wait, which character? In Interstellar, you know McConaughey's, he likes his daughter and he doesn't give a shit about his son. Yeah, that's a really Why is his fun- son even in that's it? That's a hilarious dynamic in the movie, And then his actually. son becomes like crazy Casey Affleck, who like refuses to acknowledge the fact that the air is unbreathable or something. Well, I was, when we watched this again recently in Interstellar, I really felt like that was an element of the movie that had been drastically sliced down in editing. Yeah. When they were like, Nolan, people don't want to watch your five hour film about going to space, you know, <laughs> we got to take something out. And like, there's this whole montage where all everything that is happening dramatically is basically musical and visual but like the actual action is incomprehensible like she's running around the house he's really worried they've got to leave the house he sets fire to the fields and it's all being cut in between that and like um him uh, wrestling matt damon on the ice planet or whatever and uh yeah it doesn't make any sense i feel like the whole <laughs> section of the movie has basically been taken out and yeah makes makes the sun character even even more like bizarre it's yeah. like he didn't love him because his life story is, you know, incomprehensible. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, this is like a general point, which could be a whole subject matter onto itself, but just ex- extraneous denouements. Return of the King is the ultimate one, but pretty much every Steven Spielberg movie for the last 20 years, cut off the last five minutes, probably, oh, yeah? be, probably be better, I wager. Give us an example. Like uh, Bridge of Spies. Oh yeah, Bridge of Spies would be much better if you changed the ending of that. Uh, Munich. Actually, no, Munich is good. I take that back. I take it instantly back. Take Do not back. quote me on that. Uh, I don't know. Just his movies have a tendency to sort of trail off yeah. these days. He needs a better ending. I see. That's a good point. I've uh, only given you one example, but just, you know, go with that. We got another message from Jazz Deep. He's been a very prolific um, film chat uh, correspondent this week. He says, hello, film chat. Just realized your 100th episode will likely coincide with Christmas and New Year. Looking forward to it. Uh, got anything planned to market? A greatest hits? A special two-hour episode? Well, the answer, Jazz Deep, is that we are thinking about doing a quiz to mark our 100th episode. It will be our fourth or fifth, fifth. fifth quiz. Fifth quiz! Um, which we haven't quite nailed down. It'll probably be in the new year. The 100th episode itself will land on Christmas Day, thereabouts. I mean, yeah. whatever. I mean, that's about a when it's scheduled. To you all. If we keep doing them every week, then that, that's about when it will come out um and yeah we're not quite sure what we're going to do i like both your suggestions jazz deep two hour episode to be great katie would hate it um we would delight in even more of our own voices in one big chunk Never. <laughs> but listeners we are very open to suggestions if you um have any ideas about how we should mark our 100th episode um it's nice to have more episodes than listeners. That's a pretty unusual place for a podcast to be in. <laughs> for me, it's a point of personal pride. Going mainstream means we sell out. So thanks for keeping us real. Um, by not... By, not <laughs> yeah. by being one of very few people listening. Superhero films announced. Casting rumours leaking out. M. Night Shyamalan's film is hated. Paul Thomas Anderson's is fated. Meryl Streep's Oscar tipped. Matt Damon's in a viral vid. News. Ben Wheatley. We cover Ben Wheatley's career, I think, pretty carefully. We're big Ben Wheatley fans on the Absolutely. podcast, and we're always looking forward to seeing what he's doing next. Um, and he's he is a uh, exciting director because he's not only one of the um, best um, directors currently working at the moment, but he's also very prolific. So we can always look forward to more projects from him. He's not like one of those guys who only makes a movie every five, six years. And uh, his next movie, Free Fire, will be coming out in 2017, which we're looking forward to. Danny's already seen it because he's such a uh, BFI film lad. And uh, But he is putting together an, his next project, or at least um, negotiations are currently ongoing. And he might end up directing an adaptation of a comic book series called Hard Boiled. And Thomas Hiddleston, who starred in Ben Woody's movie High Rise, is being eyed as a potential star for it. Uh, the series was created by Frank Miller and Jeff Darrow and ran between 1990 and 1992, which means it might be in Frank Miller's pre-fascist period. <laughs> <laughs> Pre-racist Hope, Hopefully, period? before he was like a complete um, sort of uh, anti-Islamic nutcase. Um, it is set in a dystopian near-future Los Angeles where seemingly average insurance investigator Carl Seitz discovers that he's really Nixon, a homicidal cyborg tax collector. Or is it Nixon discovering he's actually Carl? Either way, he becomes the last hope for an enslaved race of robots. <laughs> I'm sold. That's me reading directly from, what is this, The Empire? The Empire news story about it. Um, 
sounds like a lot of fun to me. Yeah, he's um, it's really in his wheelhouse because I'm a big Wheatley fan, so I've listened to a lot of interviews. And yeah. He's a huge Judge Dredd fan, which has a similar sardonic, um, satirical, super violent streak to it. And he's also a big uh, Paul Verhoeven fan. I just mm. learned recently that's how you pronounce Paul Verhoeven's name. Is that true? Verhoeven. Verhoeven. Uh, who made Robocop and has a similar... I think he was... Robocop came about because he tried to make a Judge Dredd movie and he just made a similar satirical, violent, techno... Oh, that's what do you call it? Um, what's the... Uh, I don't know, uh, man. You have to give me more of what, what word you're looking for. Gagey, okay, just splicing my answer now. <laughs> Cyberpunk um, projects. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, he does darkly humorous stuff there's always like a subversive quality of his films and in free fire he learned how to film people shooting people so he can do that yeah so it's well in his wheelhouse and yeah. i just like the idea of him getting bigger and bigger budgets and just letting his uh, slightly warped imagination run riot absolutely it sounds like a good uh, mix of people's aesthetics um and it sounds kind of fun in its own right as well um because it's like it sounds yeah. like sort of film noir meets robots you know, Brilliant, and I like the um, rather everyday nature of the two jobs the human <laughs> and robot both have: insurance and tax collector. Yeah, and insurance like... investigator makes me wonder if it's going to have a double indemnity vibe, which yeah. is probably the coolest film about insurance ever made. Have you seen Glenn Glary, Glenn Ross? <laughs> <laughs> is that about insurance? They're, they're salesmen, aren't they? Yeah, Do they sell insurance? They sell insurance bonds or something okay is that a thing maybe i don't, know. I don't I mean, know what they do that could be wrong that's probably definitely wrong <laughs> um anyway uh yeah it sounds it sounds really cool um and, and hopefully and ben wheatley is a smart guy who will um with any luck take some of the edge of frank miller's general like sexism and uh horrible values which well, yeah. rob rodriguez did not necessarily achieve in his sim city adaptations absolutely and also, Amy Jump co-writes all his work, and she is a lady. She's a woman. So. She's a woman, so she'd be able to write women characters. She'll bring the women's touch. <laughs> a woman's touch to this. Men can only write about men, <laughs> but a woman can write about a woman. So if you get a woman to write your film, yeah. the female characters... Would be good. Would be good. <laughs> Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Pretty good. <laughs> So Adam McKay made a sort of left turn in his career, or right turn, or a turn, some kind of turn from uh, overtly comedic affair into more dramatic territory with the big short, having previously made the Anchorman movies and various other Will Ferrell films. And he seems to be wanting to continue that trend by um, targeting a new film, which is going to be a biopic of the US Vice President Dick Cheney. Dick Cheney was uh, the vice president during the Bush administration and is seen by many to be the real power behind the throne. Mm. Bush was like this idiot puppet and Dick Cheney was this evil Machiavellian type who, during the war on terror, did a lot of uh, horrific shit, which makes it, makes it ripe for dramatic potential, I imagine. Uh, McKay said, I've always found Cheney fascinating. Questions of what drove him, what his beliefs were. But once we started digging, I was astounded at how much he had shaped modern America's place in the world and how shocking the methods were by which he gained power. So it sounds like a more serious film, even though Cheney is almost like a cartoon villain. Well, that, well, that's His name what... is Cheney, for Christ's sake. Well, his first name is Dick. Dick Cheney. Sounds like a bit of a dick, doesn't he? It's an evil name. Um, yeah, I think it actually sounds like he's covering kind of similar ground to The Big Short, where he's identified another thing that he sees as great evil in the world, uh, but that also has... Um, these like absurd machismo um and cartoonish qualities yeah uh which he so i i imagine it will be a mo moderately comical film uh because there's comedy in the dynamic between the um like uh stupid texan president and his like <laughs> sort of clearly evil grand vizier type <laughs> who's like manipulating him uh and also dick cheney uh, during his time in office, shot an old man in the face while out <laughs> while he was out hunting quail. So 
that's probably one of the most humorous political incidents in in recent times. Doesn't he? Which I assume will be like the centerpiece of this. Yeah. One. Doesn't he have the world record for person who shot the most seventy-year-old men <laughs> in the face? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Old, yeah. And the old man apologized to him for getting in the way. Yeah. Who do you think Incredible. should play uh, Cheney? Richard Dreyfuss played him in Dubya, the Oliver Stone movie. Yeah. Well, if they get him back, does that make it an extended universe film or yeah. a sequel or something? One other option could be Richard Kind. Everyone called Richard will be good. I don't know if that's even that good an option, but he certainly uh, leapt into my thoughts. He's the guy who voices Bing Bong and in Inside Out, and he's also in A Serious Man. Um, and uh, I feel like he could do a mixture of comic and evil. What about Paul Giamatti? Yeah. Kind <laughs> yeah. of schlubby. Yeah. Schlubby, balding, angry. One of the great you know what ifs is if uh the great philip Seymour hoffman was still alive he would be an incredible trump (laughs) (laughs) do you think he's got the wispy blonde hair he's got a similar build yeah i don't know if he he can just play anything well he's just a great actor he's just a great actor he could be a great trump so that's a bit of a non. I just you know in terms of political biopics. Now probably be he Adam McKay's. Be to be honest, that'll probably be Adam McKay's next movie. He mixes. already made that Trump film with Johnny Depp. Oh shit, that was Adam McKay. Yeah, I should yeah. have mentioned it on my intro. Sorry. Well, you mentioned it now. Don't I worry about it. I mentioned it now. But yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's one to look forward to. And now for Danny to review a film he recently saw. Was it staggeringly brilliant? Was it astoundingly poor? How did Danny form a judgment? We're about to hear his thoughts. If he does a rubbish job, then Sam will tell him off. So, Sam, I'm still working through the films I saw on the Film Festival, yeah. as I will be doing so for the rest of well, the next my life. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, Patterson, it is written and directed by Jim Jarmusch, who has made a bunch of movies such as Ghost Dog, uh, most recently Only Lovers Left Alive, Coffees and Cigarettes, Broken Flowers. All sorts. All sorts. He's a very cool director. He's very cool. And Patterson is about a bus driver and poet called Patterson played by Adam Driver, who lives in Patterson, New Jersey. And the film is basically a week in his life where he goes to work, eavesdrops on the people riding his bus, writes his poetry, goes home to his loving wife, Laura, played by, there's going to be some mangled pronunciation, the Iranian actress Goshifte Farani, or words that could be pronounced that way. Uh, And then in the evening, he walks Laura's pet bulldog Marvin, who clearly hates him, to a bar, has a beer, hangs out with the other bar flies and goes home. And re- that is repeated eight times. And okay. that is the film. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it's basically a character study slash love letter about Patterson, the place, as well as Patterson, the man. And here is a clip of uh, Patterson. I'm going to be saying Patterson a lot in this review. At the start of the film, composing a poem entitled Another One, which was actually written by a real poet, Ron Paget, for this film. Another one. When you're a child you learn there are three dimensions, height, width, and depth, like a shoebox. Then later you hear there's a fourth dimension, time. Hmm. Then some say there can be five, six, seven. I knock off work, have a beer at the bar, I look down at the glass and feel glad. So I loved it. I loved it. I thought it was great. Uh, it's a, I'm not really a Jamush aficionado. I've only seen three of his other films, but this is by far the best one I've seen. Uh, it's both sentimental about being trite and a kind of ode to the everyday, which is incredibly sweet in a way which isn't saccharine. And I think... I think a way to judge that the film is successful is the fact that it succeeds at all. Because from that clip, which I don't think gives... It's not very radio-friendly. The film's not a radio-friendly movie because it's so tone-based. And the plot, it could be the most boring, nondescript film in the world. But it's actually really it, yeah. engrossing. If someone um, sat me down to watch a student film with the same like description, I'd be like, <laughs> oh my god, this is going to be fucking terrible. Oh my god. Um and I think the story is successful because it is told in a way that reflects the mindset of its main character. And Patterson is a guy who takes life one moment at a time. He savors everything. He drinks his beer very slowly. He thinks about everything before he says anything. And it's the movie's got a similar poetic nature to it. And the, one of the points the film makes is that something being poetic or beautiful isn't something that's objective, but more just the way you look at something. And... 
It's like that scene in American Beauty where he looks at the uh, uh, plastic yeah, bag. but less pretentious. <laughs> and it's the idea that anything is interesting or exciting or meaningful if you just look at it from the right angle. And by being focused in the everyday, it creates drama out of, quote-unquote, non-events and the moments between them. Um, and the film, it's not plotless. There's a, I think there's just enough plot to keep you ticking over for the running time. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, the characters meets in the bar have like these little mini arcs which progress throughout the film in a way which is quite pleasing like on monday something happens and on tuesday something else happens etc etc and there's a good plot line with laura's girlfriend who's this artistic hipster uh, sort who's uh, got all these artistic projects which just get bigger in scope as the movie progresses and there's also a deliberateness to the tone of the film which is a little disarming because you're wondering when the shit's going to hit the fan, if at all. And it's like, is it just the calm before the storm? But the film is uh, disarmingly genuine and it's not trying to trick you up or lead you down one path and then, you know, uh, you know something's going to explode. It's just very sincere in its ambitions. Uh, but I think because you just have a certain amount of baggage as an audience member going to a film, yeah. it makes it kind of tense almost. When's his wife going to be murdered? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think there's just a lot to be said that uh, a film, if it feels a little lofty in its pretensions, can sell it to you if it's just sincere enough. Like, in the way it's kind of cheesy song lyric can work if the singer just does it with enough passion. That movie has this. It's just like, it feels so heartfelt that you can't help but be won over by it. And I was. It's also a really well-paced movie. It's not languid, but it does run slower than most films. But I think you quickly attune to it. And pacing is always a relative thing. So... Uh, it's the equivalent of like a blockbuster might go from 30 miles an hour to 50 miles an hour, but this one goes from three miles an hour to five, but the gap is the same. And by focusing in on things, it kind of amplifies the effect of stuff. So there's a very sort of amusing dog in it. Marvin is a scene-stealing dog and things which would just be a sort of throwaway joke in another film because of the tone of Patterson, it becomes hilarious and the dog won the Palm Dog at the uh, Cannes Film Festival. I didn't know that was a um honor that yeah every year at the can film festival like any any dog in a film for this award the performances are also excellent uh the hard to pronounce goal shift day ferrani let's just try it every single way right yeah laura uh i think it's a really good example of a girlfriend character done well and one of the criticisms leveled against john muse's films is that there's an overabundance of quirkiness to them and uh, he's always trying to show off his record collection and all his characters read books. And it's like, look how smart I am. I'm reading mm. all these authors. But it's a bit like he has marshaled all the quirk and there's one character of this girlfriend and then takes a slightly wry sideways glance at it. So like Patterson comes home and it's, she's like cooking some monochrome cupcakes. And he's a looks at her and like, of course you are. Right, yeah. <laughs> um, but um, this actress is so luminous that she, completely, that she completely sells it. And it reminded me a bit of the dynamic Bruce Willis has with his girlfriend in Pulp Fiction, you know, the sort of sweet French girlfriend. It's like that. They're like, uh, they're just really nice. Yeah. And you completely buy their relationship that he would be with her and like, she really supports his poetry even when it's not completely clear if it's good or not. But the whole film really hangs together because Adam Driver is so brilliant in it. He's a really fascinating actor. And to be a bit shallow, I think he's just physically interesting. Like he's this huge... Disgustingly shallow remark, do <laughs> He's like this huge, like, ripped guy. He used to be a Marine. If you watch Girls, this guy is in incredible shape. But he was also kind of, like, lanky and gawky at the same time. And he can play kind of raging fuels, but also really sweet and sensitive. And I think Patterson on the page is a little bit underwritten. And it's like a sort of collection of Jarmushian traits. Uh, and But he just sort of rounds it all out and makes him a very believable character, even though... No one in the film really talks like a human being. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's got that slightly stilted French New Wave, early Wes Anderson-y thing. Of people don't react in a similar way. Everyone's moving at sort of 0.5 speed. Yeah, yeah. But he kind of like makes it work and really believable and you're really endeared by him. And, and in lesser hands, it could be like, why do I care about this fucking hipster bus driver? But Adam Driver is just so great that you're, you know, he carries you for the entire film. And it is a film about a poet which is trying to be poetic and when people describe a film as poetic, I think it often means it's just very beautifully shot and it's a bit abstract. But I think it's poetic in the way that poetry is a distillation of something, in the way that 
Uh, I'm discounting all those Greek poems, which are like seven billion words. But in a way that like, yeah, reaching back to my GCC years, like yeah. in a way like a T.S. Eliot poem can like conjure up an entire man's life in about 500 words. It's a bit like uh, Jim Jarmusch and Sam's of the challenge with like the sparses of materials, like as little plot as possible, as little camera pyrotechnics, as little everything. And through these simple building blocks has invoked a much richer experience. Yeah. So I really loved it. I think if you're a Jamush fan, you'll love it. And if not, it is also still great. Do you think that it's a movie that will divide opinion? Or do you think it's like an easy watch? I think uh, it's an easy watch. It's like, basically, if you're not with it within like five minutes, you're just not going to enjoy the film. It kind of tells you what kind of film it is from the beginning and just builds on that. Hmm. Um, But you have to be in a certain mood for it. It's like a sort of afternoon, very nice languid paced movie sounds good i just said it wasn't languid paced oh i've just contradicted myself no no, no. i think uh... it's great okay adam driver for two hours playing a driver playing a driver perfect looks like sam's got a film to review he's just getting ready now hey sam here's a few tips for you that i hope are gonna help you out you gotta come prepared try not to rush speak directly into the mic um don't sort of use filler words too much and try to avoid talking total shite okay start reviewing now sam i heard you saw a film uh unlike me which was designed for stupid children who like bright colors that's correct danny i saw a proper film with explosions in it and wizards in it (laughs) and animals that don't exist and uh, a lot of other exciting shit so, uh, yeah, I went to see Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. It's the add-on extension to the Harry Potter universe. It's moved into plays, and now it's moved back in time. It's very exciting. Uh, it's uh, based on that sort of charity uh, pamphlet thing that J.K. Rowling wrote. Based on a shopping list she once wrote. <laughs> it's based on something she scribbled on the back of a napkin in crayon uh, while she was waiting for the bill. And it's also like a textbook, right, in the Harry Potter world. But yeah. you all know that, don't you, you nerds? Um, and uh, it's set in 1926, and it's about a guy called Newt Scamander, who is an adorably British fellow played by Eddie Redmayne. And he goes to New York, and he has a suitcase full of fantastic magical beasts. Wow. And early on in the movie, um, things go a bit wrong with the suitcase. Some of the beasts escape, and he has to uh, dash around finding them alongside a woman called Tina, played by Catherine Waterston, who's a American aura, um, who is trying to sort of stop him slash aid him, depending on what part of the movie you're watching. Um, and uh, he has general uh, run-ins with the um, establishment over there, uh, which is um, partly headed up by a guy played by Colin Farrell called Percival Graves. And here is a scene of Percival Graves interrogating Eddie Redmayne, Newt Scamander about his suitcase and stuff, and they have a lovely, whispery, tense chat. You're an interesting man, Mr. Scamander. You were thrown out of Hogwarts for endangering human life. That was an accident. With a beast. Yet one of your teachers argued strongly against your expulsion. Now, what makes Albus Dumbledore so fond of you? I really couldn't say. So setting a pack of dangerous creatures loose here was was just another accident. Is that right? Why would I do it deliberately? To expose wizard kind. To provoke war between the magical and non-magical worlds. Mass slaughter for the greater good, you mean? Yes, quite. I'm not one of Grindelwald's fanatics, Mr. Graves. So I had relatively low expectations going into this. I thought that there was a few things about it that were kind of warning signs. Firstly, it's not really based on any particular material. Like, um, there's no, like, established, you know, thing to be- to base it off. Sure. And it doesn't have any strong reason to exist beyond financial one that Warner Brothers wants to keep making Harry Potter movies. Um, sure. So they made this one. So I kind of imagined that would be... Um, I was expecting something that might not necessarily hold together, but it'd just be like, you know, sort of like dazzling fun. And that's kind of what it is, but I still enjoyed it a little bit better than I thought I would. I think it has like just enough of a coherent plot to satisfy you as a movie, basically. And it's tied together with a lot of um, extremely well done special effects and like uh, creative little moments. Part of the fun of like the first Harry Potter story 
is when they're like dealing with the traps at the end sure yeah, and yeah. each one is a, is its, is its own thing and it's just this kind of like show of invention yeah and the goblet of fire is a similar is a similar kind of thing yeah, yeah absolutely and uh, this shares stuff. yeah exactly there's always like new stuff that is um conceptually interesting and is executed in an entertaining way and that that's characterized this movie quite a lot because there are several scenes where they're just tracking down the next beast and they're all quite a nice mix of like charming uh, creatures that have interesting abilities and the special effects are extremely well done. Maybe it helps that I watched this directly after watching Gods of Egypt with you, which has <laughs> some of the worst special effects you, you will ever see in any film. And uh, in this movie, they obviously were throwing all possible money that could be found at it. And it's very effective. It's directed by David Yates again, and he did a very good job, I think, like visually bringing the like more adult Harry Potter universe to life. Um, and it works well here. I think it's quite a good. Um, it's what like the tone is quite well pitched as well, in that it feels of a piece with the later, slightly more gruesome Harry Potter stories, which grew up with their audience, you know, and became like um, you know like darker and meaner as they went on. But at the same time is fundamentally a very light-hearted rompish film for kids i think like as a children's movie i think it's really good i also thought that eddie redmayne was very good in it i think that he's an actor who sometimes catches a bit of flack for his roles i know that you found him a bit annoying writers like stephen hawking and um well i just noticed a trend where he's just going to be like whispering in every role just yeah. a bit sort of frail and a bit i'm consciously i'm acting well he is very i think frail and whispery is um kind of what he's doing it just looks a bit like inbred you know like a sort of royal family wing they sort of well he's on. super like raw i mean there's no two ways around That's it it's a bit mean he's not inbred I'm, i regret saying that you should because it was a cruel thing to that say and this is a family say. friendly podcast i'm so sorry we're, we're I'm lovely sorry, the whole brand is based on us being lovely and nice so tighten it up Time off, you can't. <laughs> um, I thought that it was good because basically all that he's called upon to do is be a Englishman in New York, Hugh Grant esque type. Look at me, I'm bumbling British type person. Sure. But I think that he narrows it down to a slightly more specific English type than just the sort of rom com um, Richard Curtis esque lead of the um, eccentric animal lover, mm. which feels very genuinely British but is enough of a character to, you know, work, is not he, just be an archetype. Is he just doing a bit of Attenborough? Is um, he just sort of like... Actually, yeah. maybe maybe that is, maybe it's not a million miles away from that. But I think it's more like he loves animals so much that he's, like, weird. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, if you met him, if you meet someone who is obsessed with animals, yeah. you know, in a kind of, like, I want to keep them in a magical suitcase kind of way, a they're probably mate. a little, yeah. you know. there's he's, he's kind of, like, half the weirdo down the pub kind of element to it. Yeah. Uh, mixed with you know adorable um like fop fop exactly yeah and 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 i think he does that performance like quite well like he's not just trying to be like look how cute i am but he's actually playing a character uh which is good i think in general it's quite well cast i mean we'll talk about the casting a bit later in that it's like not diverse uh it's very white cast but like um all the people in it are very good in their roles i think Catherine waterston is quite a good pick as the kind of female lead um and she's excellent in it and i like colin farrell and everyone else that I, that I like in it is the first script jk rowling's written right how does she fare as a screenwriter fine i, I thought the script was pretty good i if it had been not written by her i wouldn't have you know i wouldn't yeah. have known it's not like you can tell that this is a novelist writing a film script there was this long dense periods where <laughs> <laughs> they just in a room talking about um no, um, I, no i thought it was yeah i thought the script was fine i was something that not put me off, but like maybe less interested in the film. And this might just be uh, me misjudging the trailer, but it's like the animals escape and he's got to rescue them all. I'm a bit sort of turned off by a plot where it's just like, I've got to return to the status quo at the beginning. You know what I mean? It's like, if I just hand dropped that suitcase, this film wouldn't exist or whatever it is. I see. Yeah. Well, well there is, there is more to it. There's more, there's more, there's more, there's more going on. It's all about the, um, it's it's in this kind of uh, febrile atmosphere in which there's tension between muggles and wizards, and it's all about the wizards timely worrying that it's they're going to be exposed to the muggle world. Yeah, and um, there's a kind of wizard terrorist who is trying to create war between the two factions in Bastard. a th- in something that may possibly have real world geopolitical parallels. What? What? Um, and uh, and so you know. 
yeah. as you heard in the clip. It's there's kind more... of it's there's more there's more going cool. on. Okay. It's kind of it almost alternates a bit where it's like now there'll be a scene of uh, chasing a fun animal. Now there's a serious <laughs> political scene of like the real plot going on. You know now the fact of some fun animals. Hey hey yeah. I think also in in like in a in a completely non intellectual stupid way. I I like uh, seeing Americans like slightly ham-fistedly portrayed as written by a British person, <laughs> which is ways you normally have the reverse. Yeah. Um, so like the two sort of most American characters in it are this like fat uh, New Yorker guy whose role is basically, he's like a muggle and his role is just limited to being shown magical things and saying, wow, basically. Yeah. But he, he's basically wandered out of a Coen Brothers movie. He's got a little pencil mustache and yeah, he's yeah. comically overweight and he just, you know, sure. he's friendly in New Yorker. And uh, Catherine Waterston's sister in it is this um, kind of a gangster's mole type. You know, like that's cool. not what she is, but like that's how she talks and acts yeah. in a way that is a little bit cartoonish, might offend me if I was from New York, but right, I don't know. Not, so. It's part of the fun. It's a children's movie. It's totally fine. Cool. There's, it's got this thing which I've seen in a couple of other movies where they unveil that a character is really famous where you didn't realize like um, that was going to happen. Like it's a big surprise. Like that happens in Interstellar. And I find it a bit annoying because yeah. it's an extra outside the story reveal. Yeah. It's weird to suddenly, it's like fourth wall breaking because it's like, you recognize this actor. Whoa. Mm. You know? And I just find that to be an annoying moment. And that's my gripe that I, with which I will conclude my review yeah i think it's pretty good it's a fun movie it's um by no means necessary to exist but it's a you know as a saturday afternoon out for the kids it's pretty good my favorite film stars bridget bardo she's the queen but she wants to be in radio so she starts a podcast with her friends and the terrorists try to stop her but she beats them in the end and finally and finally so um jk rowling is very active on twitter and she uh makes a lot of political interventions these days via twitter like a lot of public figures do and a lot of them she evokes her own uh franchise potterverse potterverse in support of her political points which is not something that only she does um and there's been quite a lot of grumbling about how generally there's there's basically a generation of journalists and commentators pundits of various kinds who's go-to metaphor for absolutely everything related to politics or anything in the wider world is harry potter Mm. and how it gets a bit like tiring after a while but it's particularly um interesting that uh jk does it and also goes back and tweaks the fabric of her universe to kind of improve um its moral qualities or something like that in retrospect yeah make it more woke yeah exactly increase its wokeness and it seems it's like she's engaged in this interesting kind of project to try to fashion the harry potter world into this like perfect paradigm that you can always fit like everything in it's like a moral lesson everything and you can like fit it onto the real world and if only we could learn to be more gryffindor and less like a death eater or something (laughs) we'd all get along you know um and it's uh it's just it's just a very interesting thing because i think it's i don't know of any other um parallel to that it's got almost unique kind of cultural penetration harry potter and it's um interesting that the author herself is out there stoking it and being like yes this yeah. is the yard the author isn't dead i'm the very author, much alive the author's on twitter <laughs> the author's on twitter and she's twitting her fucking nuts out yeah and a lot of a lot of people have um flagged up that, that it's potentially an issue that she is kind of putting these woke things onto um characters that didn't display them it's not in the text you know like dumbledore being gay or lupins lycanthropy being a metaphor for aids or um or whatever adding diversity that way when it's like if it was that important it should be in the book yeah you know it would be better just write that he is gay in the (laughs) book and then that would be genuine diversity but if you have to like post fact add it then it's not really there you know yeah, it's just yeah. something that you'd like and i think one of the um biggest problems with this idea of harry potter being a uh moral paradigm is that there's a massive lack of diversity in those films and i recently found this great youtube clip which is part of a series which is this guy uh who takes every single line said by a, a actor of color from a franchise and condenses it down into one video so the one for the harry potter films all eight of them uh, comes up to six minutes that's incredible, isn't it? Uh, and I posted this, and I was like, are there any you know, people of colour in Fantastic Beasts? And Dougal commented that 
a black actress, Jennifer Smith, played Lavender Brown in the early films, but was then later recast as a white actress when she got a lot more scenes. It's amazing watching that video how Harry and Cho Chang managed to sustain a relationship with so few lines, which is a kind of revelation that they had like this whole thing and they have like nine lines together. Yeah. Harry, watch the step. Oh, no. It's a bit slippy. Oh, it's, it's a wee bit slippy. Doesn't say that. No. Nah. That's just become something we say. Yeah, but as Fantastic Beasts, there are no. Yeah, so Dougal points out that um, Carmen Ajogo plays the head of whatever the American ministry is called. I can't remember what they're called, uh, but she's the head of that. In the clip that we played earlier, there's a black actress standing in the background, but she oh. doesn't speak in that clip. Um, you know, it, it's not a it's not a remotely diverse cast. And there's one um, line in it which um, kind of rang a bit of an odd note for that reason that kind of gets to what we're talking about, um, where they're talking uh, Eddie and Catherine are chatting about the differences between American and British wizards. And he's like, I know a few things about how you work here. Um, and he says that, uh, I'm going to abandon that voice. I just, I regret using it. Um, that in, uh, American wizard culture, they're not allowed to marry muggles. He's like, you don't, you don't let, uh, wizards marry muggles. And that seems very backwards. And it seemed like a, a reference of, to the civil, civil right. rights or something. Or like America's muggles history are black of race. people, wizards are white people. I don't know, but it's like, um, it's some kind of a, it sounds like a sort of apartheid type comment, yeah. you know? And it's like weird on a few levels that's not in the, like the rest of that's just like this throwaway line it's like why evoke that if that's not part of your movie and also like what is that some kind of dig at america for their like racial history which is obviously blemishless in the uk like, <laughs> well i don't know it just it's just weird it's like don't it's this sort of signaling this wider issue it's similar to what she's doing other things where she's just like it's a gesture towards a greater issue that's they're not explored yeah i was gonna say there was two things I wanted to say. First of all, she struggles to juggle this idea of like the Death Eaters are basically like Nazis and they've got this sort of eugenic view of the world where like they want to kill all the mudbloods and anyone who's like half wizard. And that's like a sort of racial idea. But then uh, put that sort of like, are you wizard? But if you're like a black pure blood wizard, are you okay? You know what I mean? Like there's sort of like there's racism in Harry Potter, but it's like wizard racism, yeah. magic racism. So I think she struggles to, it's almost like, she was like, I've already dealt with the racism, but in my own magical way. So that everyone can be white. <laughs> and I'm still dealing with it in principle. Yeah, but also yeah. I want to say is that Harry Potter being, uh, you know, it's how old is Harry Potter now? Like 10, 15 years old. We're like more uh, culturally aware. I feel like, you know, post Oscar, so white, post whatever. And yeah. like big fantasy franchises are making the effort to be more diverse. Like Star Wars being the main one. Yeah, Rogue One is very diverse. So right? it's yeah. just weird from a financial standpoint that nobody brought this up with jk rowling you think just if you say with the times why are you not with the times i think it's sort of continually surprising how much they don't care about that yeah they like, even though that these controversies pop up occasionally um i think you've got to give a movie like rogue one credit because it's not automatic still and like the movies do um come out that are just you know they're just white and that's just how they are yeah yeah uh, final things like Dougal commented on this and he said I think the issue is that not how few supporting cast members are people of colour in major films, but how resistant producers are to casting people of colour in leading roles. Why is Riz Ahmed or Tweedler Jofa not Newt Scamander? Yeah, and I like, think that's, that's also a very, that's also a very fair totally point. I would totally see Riz Ahmed as a wizard. That would be fucking awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's not only that they're not that they're not in the movie as much, but obviously, like, even less do they play the leads. Yeah. Um, except when they're doing, like, roles kind of explicitly about, like, racial or ethnic issues. I will say in her defense that I think there's a good moral lesson in Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, which I liked uh, reading. Uh, or like, you know, I enjoyed I enjoyed it when this lesson was delivered when I was a child. And it's to do with the um, inherently quite problematic thing of sorting children into um, houses based on their personality types, That's like weird. evil or good or <laughs> like nerdy or the other one. Or useless. Or useless. <laughs> um, and... Um, that that whole concept is somewhat horrific it's like ultimate like grammar school but like a million times worse where you don't even take the test you just wear a hat and it tells you if you've passed or not it's really fucked up but i like how it's dealt with at the end of the book where uh, harry's talking to dumbledore and um harry's saying that this the hat was like you should maybe think about being slytherin it'd be a great house for you and he was like well i'd rather be in gryffindor because it's the non-evil house so that's <laughs> obviously my preference and um 
And the hat's like, okay, you can be in Gryffindor. And I liked the way in which there's this lesson of uh, there's that like non-determinative aspect to it yeah, where you you're defined your by your choices. Yeah. yeah. Do you think the other students are like, why not I think to just ask to be in Gryffindor? Probably. I should yeah. have just said, put me in Gryffindor. Well, it's probably all those evil kids who like, <laughs> you'd be good in Gryffindor. And it's like, but I love power and cruelty. Put me in Slytherin. I really should be Hufflepuff. I like Slytherin. Snape. <laughs> Ravenclaw? Slytherin. Put me I in like, Slytherin. I want to eat an entire deer and digest it. Okay. Basically, JK, we love you. We love the Harry Potter books. I haven't seen this movie out here. It's good. Sometimes it's good. But... I heard from this guy, Sam. It's pretty good. <laughs> I don't know. Guy, I've been drinking today. But I just, you know... You got there's there's your books are problematic and, and rain you, rain it in rain it shut in shut the fuck up about them <laughs> shut the fuck up <laughs> listen to these two drunk guys on a podcast and keep flying that flag <laughs> I don't know what, what a beautiful thought. sentiment look forward to seeing how woke Fantastic Beasts and where to find them too is uh, thanks so much for listening guys remember to like subscribe and so on find us on Twitter at podcast film chat and on SoundCloud at and podcast film chat also or maybe film chat podcast can never remember which way around that goes um tell all your friends tell all your family to listen and uh hey folks i'm mark Marin from the wtf podcast and this episode is brought to you by kleenex ultra soft tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Yeah. And have a good week. Have a good week. Bye. Bye.